You're listening to 360 Degrees, the podcast from the University of Southampton's Development and Alumni Relations team with me, Emily Harrison. We're kicking off this brand new series of the podcast with an episode celebrating Black History Month, where I get to talk to one of our alum, Marcia, about her previous experiences working as a black woman in the police force and everything she's gone on to do since. It was a really interesting chat that I genuinely found so insightful and interesting. So I hope you do too. Enjoy! Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Do you want to start by introducing yourself to everybody listening? Um, Hi, everyone. My name is uh, Marcia Orr. I call myself a Brummie living in Southampton. I'm from Birmingham in the West Midlands. Um, And um, I work as a freelance diversity, equity and inclusion coach and consultant. Uh, And in my previous lives, one of them the big one. I was a police officer for 30 years from 1982 to 2012. That's so cool and we're going to get more into kind of your squiggly career path and all your previous career journeys which I'm really excited to talk about but first of all what did you study at Southampton? What was your experience like? I studied for a master's in education management and leadership Um, and Um, I was a mature student. In fact, I was so mature. I was 50 when I started my master's. So I was, um, I would say, the oldest um, student there, full-time student there. So for me, it was a a different experience, but I really enjoyed um, the experience of working with other students from other backgrounds. So let's get into your career journey because there's a lot to talk about here. What was your first career experiences? I joined the police six weeks before my 20th birthday, bailed my A-levels, bailed um, college to join policing and, and was looking at a career in nursing. Um, and I'd done that for so many years and and I, and, and had a, a squiggly career path in the police as well. And that, and that was okay that to do different things. Um, but when I was um, about to leave or thinking about leaving, what life was going to be like about seven years to go, I thought, well, I haven't got a qualification. What what am I interested in and passionate about and got experience? And, and one of um, the things that I'd done apart from training was coaching and mentoring. And so I started off and did a postgraduate in personal business coaching and then realized I really liked studying weird um and then did a masters in coaching and mentoring um and then as i was retiring because i started my masters at southampton in the october november and i retired from the police in the december really it was i needed some time to think because my identity was very much caught up in policing so really it was I call it my, I tell my children, it was probably my adult gap year. <laughs> I love that. What a great way to phrase it. How did you first get involved in the police? Well, my father had been a police officer um, in Jamaica. And when he came to the UK in the late 50s, police um, service weren't very open to having black people in policing. And so when um, the Brixton's, riots happened in um, in the 80s when Lord Scarman's published his report and said the police service needed to be more representative of the community I kind of took that as a lead and uh, 
being a bit different and and I like to say that I like a challenge if someone tells me you can't do that then I tend to go stand back and watch me do it anyway and so I applied for the police and uh, six months later I was in. But what was that experience like because like you've said you know and I think even today like they the police force kind of gives the impression that there's a lot of racism within that that there is a lot of issues misogyny as well so as a black woman what was your experience like kind of within the police force you know is that impression completely unfounded did you experience difficulties or was it completely unlike what you expected completely founded there's racism and misogyny in the police service and what you need to understand is that uh, when I joined, the Sex Discrimination Act had just not long kicked in. The police service had just abolished, got rid of police women's departments, and police women were now long working alongside police men. Police women's pensions weren't in parity with police men when I joined. There was one police woman per shift, so you could have 30 men and one woman. And then they brought in black and brown people, and the police just wasn't geared up for difference like that you know even when I joined um, having uh, for example your uniform I was issued with we were issued with trousers but we could only wear them if the weather was inclement and we had the permission from an officer of at least the rank of inspector to wear them but that's the way it was so that's just to give you a idea of what the environment was so yes they said they wanted um, black and brown people ethnic minorities, but they hadn't actually thought about how we were going to be other than to assimilate, um, not be included, but in assimilate. And so um, I was very naive because I actually thought the welcome map meant welcome and it didn't. And I found that I experienced probably more discrimination in the police station than I did outside of it. And that must be tough because, like you say, you've gone into it with a lot of positivity and hope that there's change and, you know, you can do this and you're w welcome, like you say. How did you navigate that environment? And is it something that got better over time or continued? I was in denial for uh, many years. I even went on TV and in a role that I had and, talk, and there was discussions about racism and I said that I wasn't having a problem I was going through hell at the time so I think for me it got to a point where it was I couldn't deny the experience that anymore um, and I started to be active in terms of challenging um, racism within the service um, and that meant that I had a um, I had some allies and found some allies to support me, but it also meant that I was a bit of a target as well for being outspoken. And is that, would you say that environment, is that what contributed towards you leaving or was that completely separate? I, I did my 30 years um, and so um, for me that was the goal. That sounds like a long time to stay in an environment like you've described that's so hostile towards you as a black woman were there any positive experiences or was it always an uphill battle no, it wasn't always an uphill battle i worked with some really great people who supported me um 
it was a challenge it it wasn't easy um and policing isn't easy um for anybody regardless of who you are it's a, a job where you're dealing with the predominant predominantly people in crisis so adding that other element and it's difficult but i believe firmly in the principles of policing and so that's why i stayed and also i'm a bit stubborn and i'll leave when i want to (laughs) (laughs) i love that do you think that there is less racism and that that's being properly tackled when you left versus when you started or had it stayed the same got worse what was your impression of that over the course of the 30 years things got better um but um as i was leaving i started to see a lack of focus and attention it's like job done move on and i uh, and so policing is in my view where it comes to the black people worse than probably worse in some respects than it was when I joined and, and tomorrow I'll be speaking to a number of leaders in uh, two police services about um, my experience and giving them some insight about actually as leadership they set the tone of the organization so they can come out with all the words like we're all committed blah 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 but actually people are going to watch their behaviors your staff are going to watch your behaviors I think police service has stalled and things are at an all-time low and it's and what's interesting is it's not just black people it's women and it's the lgbt plus community as well so there are marginalized groups who are not having a good experience yeah i was going to ask you whether you had advice for anybody that might be part of a marginalized group listening that has considered the police force or is worried that it's not going to be a welcome environment for them like is your advice to to not go into the police force or is is there any particular i don't know any advice that you might have for any member of a marginalized group around working in the police force i would never say to anybody don't join who am i i joined and some people asked me why i was doing it at the time um and what did i expect when i had some issues i would say go in with your eyes wide open um think about coping strategies um have a support network um i think that's the main thing yeah I survived and some would say I thrived um, despite of, um, but don't compare yourself to other people because all of our experiences are slightly different, but collectively the experience of, of black women, uh, black people in policing and black women isn't always as positive as it's made out. Yeah, I think that's really great advice. And we were talking before we started recording about how this year is the first year that Black History Month is specifically recognising Black women and the role that Black women have in society. Why do you think that is? And what could we be doing more to recognise Black women and the role that they're playing? I think it's just say something about our society where we can talk about the gender agenda 
um, and blanket women all together, but actually we fail to recognise that actually who is it who's benefiting from the gender agenda? What do they look like? Who's excluded? And that black women who have been very much at the forefront of some activities and, you know, you look at the NHS, you know, black women were recruited by ministers from the Caribbean to come to support the NHS. But why is it that when there was, um, you know, talk about trying to get a, a, a monument to Mary Seacole, there was such a backlash against it? Yeah, there isn't really a celebration of black women in the NHS. Well, in workforce generally, I don't think I see it, but actually what stories do we hear about really important work and valuable contributions that are made? It's almost like that silent that silent group and the stories the stories that are told about is uh, where we're standing up for our rights um not about the contributions we've made and they're two separate things but you don't hear those positive contributions and i just think that just goes to show um where we are when it comes to recognizing the talents and the contribution of black women you've written a really interesting blog post fairly recently about how Britain was too slow to recognise the, the contribution of black people and, and black women. Are there any other things that you would recommend people go and read or go and watch to try and educate themselves more, not just during Black History Month, but generally about black people, but specifically black women and the important work that they've done? To be honest, I think there's um, absolutely no excuse when you've got the internet and Google to be able to Google. Um, even if it's whatever your politics are, people like Diane Abbott, um, who's lambasted, but actually, you know, she's made a real contribution, um, but she's heavily criticised um, in a way that other people aren't. If you look in the media, Think about any of the, the journalists. What do they look like? Who are they? How many black, black women are there? What stories are they given to present and tell? So I think that people should be curious enough to be able to say, actually, that's a topic I want to look at. I think that's a great answer, perfect answer. Like you say, there's so much out there. People should have some autonomy to go and find what they're interested in. So we've talked obviously a lot about your experiences in the police, but like you say, you've gone on to do a lot of other things since then. So what was your, you said that you spent the last seven years in the police kind of getting ready for life after. What did that look like for you? What did you think you were going to go and do after? I thought I might end up teaching because I was a trainer in the police and I um, learning development. So I thought I was going to do that. And I have had learning development roles, but it wasn't enough. I got bored. I need a I need variety. And I realized that I um, I suppose one thing that policing did was it spoiled me. It spoiled me in terms of when I fancied a change, there were opportunities to go and do another role. 
So I was an operational police officer, but like I said, I then went on to be an ethnic minority recruitment officer. I then went on to be training. I then went on to work as a 999 call, uh, call, call taker and dispatcher of police resources. I got promoted. So there was always, it was like, okay, what's the next move? And I had to go, okay, that's the next move. Um, whereas when you're in the real world, as you call it, you have to really think about your opportunities and the next steps, especially if you're like me and you might think, I, I want to do something else now. And so I've done, like I say, learning development roles. I've worked with young people and, and, and for, looked after children, former looked after children, helping them to find jobs and working with the long-term unemployed. And uh, then I ended up back working um, full-time, working on diversity, equity and inclusion. And then um, last year I decided having been working, doing two roles, working full-time, but working as a consultant as well, I decided to take the step and work full-time for myself freelance because it gave me more autonomy. I could work with organisations that I wanted to work with and turn down those that I didn't want to work with and didn't allow with my values and um, gives me a great sense of achievement and control to be able to do that. Scary sometimes when you're thinking, i got to find clients, um, but um, don't have any trouble finding them. So that's a good thing that there are organisations out there that actually want to do the work. Um, and I do a range of things. So I deliver training. I do investigations into grievances. I support CEOs sitting on appeal hearings. Um, I do keynote speaks and deliver workshops. I'm part of a, a team that does accreditations in the housing sector. I do coaching, group coaching and one-to-one -one coaching. So my current role allows me to do a range of different things that I like doing and also allows me to work across sectors and in the UK and also North America. So I like that. And what would be your advice to any people, whether they've already graduated or they're going to be graduating soon, about navigating their career? Because definitely, I think this is changing now, but definitely when I was growing up or when I was at school, people kind of talk about the career ladder and it's this idea that you kind of pick one career and you kind of work your way up the rungs and it was kind of seen as a bad thing to move around too much and you need to train and specialise and have one thing. I always struggled with that because I, similar to you, I like new challenges and keep things interesting and move around. I think now that kind of is changing that advice it's like you should kind of look around and take opportunities but what would be your advice to people about navigating a kind of quote-unquote squiggly career and how do you know when it's time to change career paths or how do you navigate a change what would be your advice my advice is not to put yourself in a box and decide to decide this is what I do want to for the rest of my life 30, 40 years is a long time to stick to the same thing, especially if you're not passionate about it. And I think one of the things I'd also say is you change. 
So when I joined the police, the person that I was, Marcia that I was, wasn't Marcia who, who left. And there might have been times when actually I could have left legitimately, but I, I really believed in policing. I think what's really important is not to see that your, your degree is all you need to do. It's a passport, but it's not your visa. And also to remember that you need to, I believe, really think about your continuous professional development. And it's something I've spent a lot of time and money and effort to to be upskilled and relevant. So in, in September, I start a postgraduate certificate in mediation. And also there are real benefits to having that squiggly career because it doesn't matter where you've worked, you will have picked up some skills, some knowledge and experience. And if you package that well and appropriately to any employer and see that this is value added, you know, they have their essentials and they have their desirables. And I always look at, okay, then have I got the essentials? Okay. What are the desirables I've got? Because that's their wish list. And have I got any of those things on the wish list? And so if anybody's interested in perhaps there's some some other career that they think I'm doing this now, but maybe I'd like to uh, move into that area in a few years, have a look at the job descriptions, the person specification, what they're asking for. Do a SWOT analysis of um, your strengths and your weaknesses against that. And then devise a plan where you think, OK, how can I plug those holes? What can I do? And it might be you do volunteering. So. I was a volunteer for six years while I was still serving in the Prince's Trust because I recognised that my my life experience was limited to policing um, and I wanted to broaden that and I got a great deal out of it and I hope I supported a lot of people getting a great deal out of it too. So it's about identifying your gaps and then working towards plugging those gaps meaningfully and being committed to it and then change and if that doesn't work change again because you've lost nothing you've gained some experience you've gained some knowledge and it will benefit another organization so yeah life's life's too short to stay with something that you've may have outgrown and sometimes you can outgrow roles and if an organization hasn't got a role for you to meet you where you are, then find one Those that can. Some words to live by. I wish I'd had you as a careers counsellor at way back when I was at school because that would have been so useful to hear. I think, and I'm so glad it's changing that environment. That it's okay to move around, and like you say, it's actually more than okay. It's beneficial because you become much more upskilled and experienced as a person. So. I found this really interesting to chat to you and, and really helpful. And I'm sure that everybody listening has well as well. So thank you so much for taking the time to come onto the podcast. Is there anything else that I haven't asked you about that you would like to talk about? Um, I think the one thing that we haven't talked about, and obviously I'm going to talk about it because it's really, really important to me, is diversity, quality, equity and inclusion. And... I think that when you're looking for a role, wherever you are in your organization or in your career journey, you need to really think about who you are, your values, and how the organizations that you're looking at are attracted to, how they align with your values. Because 
you could get the dream job in the dream organization but actually when you start there it just doesn't feel right and that can make the whole experience for you and for them challenging so really do your research on the organization and not just look at their website look at other things look at the media even look at if you like I do. I look at employment tribunals. I have a look and see what's come up. What are the issues there? Do do your due diligence about the organisation um, that you thinking of going to before you actually get in there and find out things that you're not happy about. Um, be informed about your decision. Um, too often as in employees and those seeking roles, we feel that all the power is in the employer's hands and actually we have a say you know and i have had interviews for jobs and they've offered me the job and i've said no thank you but that takes i understand that takes um self-confidence um and being in a position where i'm privileged to be able to say actually I can say no, and I understand some people can't. And if you can't say no, and you accept the job, then think about your strategy to get through it, and how, and maybe your exit strategy. And it might be it's okay, and you can live with it. It might be then not then, what's your next move? It's not a life sentence. You don't have to stay with an organisation till the very end. If it's not working for you, it's got to be a mutually beneficial relationship. So that's my my advice. I, and I think it's great advice. If there's any organisations listening that have thought we need to get this woman on board because she sounds absolutely fantastic, uh, where can they find you? How can people get in touch and find out more about your work? Um, LinkedIn. I'm, 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 I'm very active on LinkedIn, so you can find me at Marcia Orr or my website, uh, which is Marcia Orr Consultancy. It's as simple as that. I've kept it simple so people can find me. Easily searchable. Easily searchable. I have a podcast out and I have another one um, coming out um, in September. So my first one is Black Women in Policing and the second one is Black Women in DEI. So in terms of if people are interested, they can listen to these podcasts. It's been such a pleasure to chat. Thank you so much for coming onto the podcast and hopefully everybody will have loved this as much as I have. Thank you, Emily. And thanks for the invitation and good luck everyone with your careers and your search. Thank you so much again to Marcia for coming on to our first episode back of the new series celebrating Black History Month. She was so insightful and I found that whole chat so interesting and hopefully you did too thank you so much for listening and we'll see you again for a new episode very soon